Hello, Marquette basketball fans. Welcome to a special edition of the Golden Breakdown. Today we sit down with Travis Diener and break down this Marquette basketball team. It was a fantastic conversation. We were so happy he was able to join us. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at the Golden Break. we got Dr. Keegan adding stats all the time. We try to give you some unique information, um, but please give us a follow at the Golden Break. Enjoy this interview. All right, we're real excited here. We got Travis Diener with us breaking down this Marquette basketball team. Travis, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, right off the bat here, tell us about your general impression of this young team. Well, I think, I think initially, I think you should, everyone should be pretty excited. I think with the start first off, and then the the potential of this team, because naturally, I think the the guys that are having a, a big impact are are younger. And I think throughout the season, they're just going to continue to get better. I think this year's team is totally different than any of the teams that, you know, Wojo's had in the past because this is a team that can grind it out. Uh, I think defensively should be uh, one of the better teams in the conference. So, you know, you're going to have those games where you're not shooting the ball well. And I don't think this is a great shooting team, but I don't see this team getting blown out too many times, I, I hope, uh, because the defense of side of the ball will keep them in the games. And like we saw on, on Monday night against a team like Creighton in the past, you know, naturally I think Creighton's a, a softer team, but I think, you know, Marquette was kind of trying to play that style as well. And we saw Monday night, you know, in the second half, especially pound the ball inside, kill them on the glass. And, you know, we got a victory. It's getting a little chippy out there. I kind of liked it. Yeah, it's good to see. It's good to see the toughness from, you know, the Marquette team and, and, you know, the young guys playing with a chip on their shoulder. And it was a great game to watch, you know, because that could have gone at times. It looked in the first half and the half times like, well, Marquette could get, you know, blown out here, but came out first five minutes, the second half, set the tempo, kind of punched Creighton in the face. And, you know, thankfully, you know, at the end, I thought DJ made a huge three in the corner where things were kind of looking a little iffy, but, give credit to, to the, to the Marquette staff and the Marquette players, you know, this has been a great start to the year and not just the record, but the way they've won, I think translates into how you can win in March. Uh, most importantly. I love that shot that DJ hit because they did it on that action with Garcia and Lewis, where they were trying to post them up. It wasn't there. They went right into the dribble drive and hit Carton. And I think that's, what's really interesting about this team. You know, you had talked about differences from teams in the past, what do you think is different about this team this year from teams that Woj has coached in the past? Well, the, f- the first couple of years of, of Wojo's tenure was uh, Marquette just wasn't talented enough to win big. And then, you know, with the last four years with Marcus, it's a totally different team where you're banking on a guy, especially the last two years, you're banking on a guy to score 25 points a game. And, you know, he's an undersized player. Uh, defensively, he wasn't, the best uh i mean outstanding player don't get me wrong but it's just a totally different team a totally different style of play where i think on any given night with this team you're going to see a guy produce at a high level monday night you saw greg elliott come in and hit big shot after big shot obviously dj had a big game dawson had a double double but i think periodically throughout the season you're going to see seven or eight guys maybe 
you know, have these big games where in the past it was, you know, you're looking at Marcus to score 25 to 30 points and then you didn't know what else was going to happen. So I think there's a toughness about this team that hasn't been there. There's an unselfish, an unselfishness that's there. And just, I think the, the camaraderie, camaraderie within the team, if you watch from afar is, is it seems like everyone is really enjoying, uh, you know, playing together. Yeah, no doubt. I think they've had four different leading scorers already at this point. You're right. I love how we can score a lot of different ways. And I think that's what's really interesting. But one thing that has been tough for this offense has been turnovers. I mean, even against Creighton, like you said, in the first 10 minutes, they had six turnovers. You know, you have had the luxury of playing for a lot of different coaches uh, during your career. What are some different things you've seen coaches do in practice to get better at protecting the ball? Well, I, you know, I was on staff for Wojo, so I know, and that's always been kind of an issue is, you know, you do different things for a turnover in practice. We had balloons in practice where you'd pop one for every turnover. And it, it, once you got over, say, 10, 15 turnovers for a practice, uh, you would run for, for those mistakes. So there's different ways, you know, they're trying every which way to, to combat those mistakes. But Naturally, Marquette wants to play at a fast pace. There's going to be turnovers. we got young guys. There's going to be turnovers. Yeah, you want to limit them. But you also want to give these guys a free, freedom to be who they are as a team. And I think that's important as well, to not have them playing passive, not having them play, not to make mistakes. And if they can cut down those turnovers like we're talking about and, and get good shots at the rim, it could be a great season because, like I said before, defensively, I think this is a really good team with a lot of length, a lot of athleticism. And so I think teams are going to have a tough time scoring on them. Yeah, absolutely. After the UCLA game, you know, Woj talked about this team needing to be more patient. Can you dive into what that means in like an offensive system? So like even in times when your coaches may to say like, hey, we need to be a little bit more patient. Like what does that actually mean schematically? Well, it means, you know, you don't take a shot in the very first pass or you, you, you don't come down on a possession and just without a pass and take a shot, maybe move the ball to both sides of the floor, try to get some drives to the lane, try to make the defense rotate, uh, maybe throw it in the paint uh, in the post to get a good look that way, try to get an easy, ba uh, easy basket or get fouled and get to the free throw line. So there's a lot of different ways. You just don't, you know, there's, you know, time and score is so important. If a team goes on a run, scores two quick buckets three quick buckets you don't want to come down and just jack a shot quick you want to work your offense try to get an easy shot to kill momentum so things like that I think that's what you know Wojo's referring to and naturally you know dealing with college players and young guys it, it it's, it's a challenge at times because they want to get sped up they think they can get it back in one possession which isn't the case so you know understanding the time and score and where the momentum is and when to, when you can take a quick shot and when you should, you know, kind of work the ball to both sides of the floor. I'm going to jump ahead here. Cause you kind of talked about something, you know, Mike and I talk a lot, Mike termed this, this is not me, but he termed it uh, point guard brain. There are some guys who kind of have that point guard brain, sort of the traditional pass first, let's get the offense set up. Um, when you're talking about that tempo, when you were playing point guard, what were some things that you had to do on the court to make sure that you were setting the right tempo, that you were making sure guys were in the right spots? Well, naturally, I think I always wanted to play super fast. I think that fit the way our team was built to fit, fit the way I wanted to play. And I always trusted myself to make good decisions. So even if I was playing fast, I wasn't 
I, I didn't think I was going to turn the ball over. Obviously it happens, but I thought I would make the right decisions. I always trusted my basketball IQ to put guys in the right spot to make the right decisions. And I think that's an extension of a coach. And that's what you try to find in a point guard is a guy that can try to relay the same messages that the head coaches, whether that's, you know, X's nose wise, or just from a leadership leadership standpoint. So I think just knowing different scenarios are going to occur during a game where the momentum's at time score, the foul situation, that's all important to, important to being a, a really good point guard. And I think it just takes, you know, obviously it takes a lot of experience as well. You know, I'm 38 years old, so I've been through a lot of different scenarios throughout the game of basketball throughout my life. So as I got, as I got older, I was better at and better and more equipped to deal with those situations. You know, we've talked a lot on the pod about, you know, DJ and Kobe playing the point. Um, and, and I really like DJ Carton at the point. What are some of the things you think you see in him that make him a good quarterback for this team? Well, first off, I think his, his talent is uh, high, high level. I think the guy is, from a talent standpoint, is a, a, an NBA player, borderline NBA player. He's got great athleticism. You even saw that on the the alley-oop attempt on the fast break, his his athletic ability. He can get to the hole. He can shoot. You know, he's got a little lower a little lower release on his shot, but he's, you know, in the last few games, he's made threes, which I think he can at a high level. So his talent, uh, first off, and then second, you know, he can make plays when, you know, this is a, this might be a team that is going to struggle at, you know, offensively at times, you know, he can break down a defense and get it, get his own shot, which I think will be important once we start playing, you know, the teams that are, you know, traditionally really good defensively, the Villanova's uh, Seton Hall tomorrow night. Uh, so it's going to be a, a challenge that way. But I think he has all the tools. Now, I haven't seen him enough to know how he's going to react in, in close game situations the last five minutes. I thought he did a good job the other night. Uh, he obviously hit a huge shot. He hit, made some incredible plays against Wisconsin late. So he has that ability to take games over. And so, but to answer your question, I think first off, he's got an extremely high ceiling and his talent level is, is really, really high. Um, the screen and roll has been a real deadly weapon for this team because you've got such dynamic bigs. I mean, you got guys that can slip, you got guys that can pop. Um, you know, what I love watching the screen roll relationship, there's so many different things you can do. You can reviews, you can curl, you can step back, right? The slip, the, the pop, all that kind of stuff. Uh, how much of that is scripted and how much of that is just intuition? I think at a college level, it's more scripted than at a professional level. Obviously pros can read the defenses a little better. They've been through it. They know. So I think a lot of that is scripted, but you know, with, with the ability of the bigs that Marquette has and kind of the in and inside out that they can do with Dawson. You know, he can shoot threes. Justin can shoot threes. Both of them are really good in the low block. So I think it's it's scripted, but I think there's probably also some freedom throughout that offense where, hey, if, if you feel a read where you want to pop, you know, pop. If you want to slip, slip. But those two guys, and that's an advantage for Marquette is, you know, you don't know how you're going to guard those guys because they, they can do, you know, both options. So you have to respect them shooting the ball, and you also have to respect them you know, slipping or if you switch ball screen defense, like a lot of teams do, you know, you put Justin in the low block or Dawson in the low block and he's going to get a good, and either of them are going to get a good shot. That screen and roll demands chemistry. Who did you have the best screen and roll chemistry with? And what did you do to kind of take that to the next level? 
Well, I think every point guard's different because you're going to be guarded differently off the pick and roll. For, for me, uh, you know, most teams would either high hedge or trap me to get the ball in my hands. And the ability to shoot the basketball throws a different dynamic. Some, some point guards don't shoot it as well as others. So you can kind of, you can go under, you don't have to hedge as high. So I think I, I always love guys that were quick and athletic because they could slip easily. Cause I knew a hedge or a, a, a trap was coming. So they slip, they get in that, you know, mid post area or they slip and they can dunk. So those were the guys that I always loved playing with the most because that's how I knew defenses were going to be geared to try to stop, you know, me as, as the point guard. Anyone in particular stand out that you really enjoyed? Well, to be honest, in in college, it was a lot. The, the style of basketball is different nowadays. I, I didn't. I don't think I ran a pick and roll in high school. To be honest, we we ran a five <laughs> five out motion. College, I ran a little more. You know, ball screens. Marcus Jackson was great because Marcus Jackson could facilitate and pass really well. But more so from a professional level, where I was dealing with guys that were slipping. So the game is really evolved and really changed in the last 15, 20 years since I was in college. So it's kind of a, a difficult question to ask mm. or answer. Absolutely. Yeah. No, totally understand. I love Jackson. He was so much fun to watch. So much fun to watch. Um, in the uh, Creighton post-game interview, Woj talked about mixing his defensive coverages against Creighton's screen and roll. Can you talk about a little bit of what that means for defenders? Like, What does that mean, mixing up your packages? Well, there's there's a, just a boatload of of coverages you can guard certain guys with, and I know Creighton has an outstanding point guard, so you can you know you can trap him. Like I said, you can high hedge with Theo. You could switch at times, and I think Marquette is built that they can switch a lot of screens because they are a longer, athletic, taller team. You know, DJ's got good size. Kobe is physical. Jamal can switch. Theo can guard a point guard. You know, Justin can guard anyone on the court. So there's a lot of different strategies that Wojo can, can impl implement because they have the, they got the personnel now this year to do that. You know, last year with, with a smaller team, or even when it was Marcus and Rousey, the, you're kind of limited to what you can do because they're smaller guys. You can't switch because those guys will get rolled down to the paint or, you know, offensive rebounding would be a liability as well. So I think there's so many different ways that Wojo can attack offenses this year, just because of the personnel that he has. Yeah. Speaking of that personnel, I have a crazy ass idea that you could put Garcia, Lewis, and Theo John on the court at the same time. Am I nuts for thinking that Garcia can play a little bit of three? No, I, I don't think so at all. I think in I think you maybe were probably close to seeing that the other night with all the foul trouble that was going on. I think at times you can get really creative uh, with Dawson and with Justin because Justin, I think Justin can guard anyone on the court. He's got long arms. He's got big hands. Obviously, with experience, he'll get better. I don't think he truly understands just how to play just yet. I mean, he's a freshman, so I don't think anybody knows how. But I think in time, you're going to see various different lineups with the personnel that, you know, like I said before, that we have. Speaking of Justin Lewis, you're right. He's got some of those moments where you could definitely tell he's a freshman. I think you saw that a lot in the Oklahoma State game when they threw the zone at us. Tell us a little bit about what you saw in that game when we were being zoned. I, it felt to me that it was a practice thing. You know, we, you don't, you didn't have a lot of time in leading up to that, throwing a zone into a team that's brand new. Um, tell me a little bit about what you saw specifically in that game. I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I, I don't want to give excuses, but you know, when you don't 
have a lot of practice time. You're, you're not going against a lot of zone just because you haven't been able to practice. You're trying to work on your man-to-man offense because that's what you're mostly going to see. So I thought Oklahoma State did a good job changing it up. And I'm, I'm actually really shocked in these last few games. I knew Wisconsin would never play zone, but, you know, Cre- I'm surprised Creighton didn't play more zone. I thought they went to it way too late. And I thought, and I, I knew UCLA really wasn't going to play zone because, you know, Coach Cronin doesn't really like to play zone either. So I think those were good matchups. I think initially Marquette just got really passive and, and wasn't attacking. And, and when you do that, you know, just pot, passing the ball around the arc, the shot clock would wind down, we'd take a bad shot. So I think just the passiveness, nobody was really attacking. And that was before, you know, DJ had really taken the next step. You know, he was coming off the bench. He wasn't playing nearly as much. I think he's gained his confidence in this system. I think he's found his rhythm. I think if they play, if they're going to see a zone, obviously, again, at some point. So I think they'll attack it a lot better. I think just having more aggression throughout the zone and not being so passive as they were against Oklahoma State. But that's all. those are all learning experiences for a young team. And I think naturally, as we go through the season, they'll get better at each and every situation. But you know, so are other teams. Other teams are in the same predicament. They've had no practice time. So we'll see how this, you know, this season kind of plays out. Yeah, I didn't understand. I was shocked that Creighton waited so long to get into the zone. And it really wasn't into the last four minutes of the game. And when they did, it was like turnover, 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 the full court pressure. We turned the ball over, which is exactly what you want to do against a young team. It was just I was I was surprised they didn't do it earlier because I think they were so sped up and desperate to come back that they just kind of got lost. Yeah, they, they waited a long time, and I think that it it helped them at the end. Marquette, I think, was at that point too, just trying to protect the lead. So it was a different scenario than maybe if they would have thrown it in the first half. I think maybe Marquette would have kept attacking. I'm hoping that they would have kept attacking and found good shots. You know, I think I think Creighton's a soft team. So I think it was a it was a great matchup for Marquette because, like I said before, they're I like I like our physical physicalness. I like how you know tough we play. We we beat people up on the boards. We grind it out. So I thought it was a great matchup going in. And I was uh, yeah I was I was surprised just like I think you were that Crane didn't show a little more zone, uh, you know, early in the game. But you know I'm glad they didn't because I think Marquette and it showed, you know, against that man to man defense, they pretty much got whatever shot they wanted. Yeah. Uh, they really did. Um, I know you were the director of player personnel for Marquette for a little while, uh, especially right as Woj was kind of starting his career. Can you tell us a little bit, what was the job description of that position and what were some of the expectations Woj had on you? I think mostly because I couldn't go out and recruit and stuff like that. So I was dealing with the guys in the program, you know, meeting with guys, trying to help, you know, see where they're at mentally and, and just try to help them through the, the situations that we're going to, you know, arise from their career. Cause I had, you know, obviously been through, you know, a lot of different situations throughout college and my professional career. So just try to help them manage their, their four years of college, try to give them insight, uh, try to give the point guards insight on what I see meeting with them, trying to help them out. So more so on the, the, the guys in the program, more so than obviously recruiting or, or doing any of that because I wasn't allowed to be uh, out recruiting. Yeah. And so you've been around Woj on game day. What's sort of some of the routines, the things that Woj likes to do to prep for a game the day of? Well, he's very, very detail oriented. You know, we come in and there's a strict plan on how to attack an opponent. So there's, 
you know, we'll go through a shoot around usually four or five hours before the game, you know, and that will be regimented out, you know, with to the second, you know, there'll be a time on the clock and each drill will have X amount of minutes like most coaches do, but he's very, very detail oriented. He's serious. There's no, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's pretty standard throughout basketball. You know, it's, it's time to get ready for the game. You know, there's no messing around. We're, tr- we're here to get a, a game plan in or not in, but we're finalizing that game plan. This is the last time we're going to walk through stuff. And so it's very, uh, it's short, it's quick, but it's to the point. Here's what we want to do offensively. Here's how we want to play these, you know, five favorite actions of a, of a, of a certain team. This is what will happen on baseline, sideline, out of bounds. Here's end of game situation. So it's, it's rapid fire, but it's kind of the last go around before, you know, they go eat pregame meal and then come back for the game. Uh, I know Mike's got a question for him. I'm going to pass the buck to him in this next one. Sure. Yeah. Uh, thanks again for coming on Travis. Uh, so my question for you tonight is um, you hit that clutch shot in the TBT this year with no fans in the house, which must've been a bit weird, um, <laughs> but it immediately brought to my mind another clutch shot that you hit uh, against Louisville in 2003 to tie that game before Reese Gaines kind of ruined it. But after you hit your shot, it, the place, you know, absolutely exploded. And I thought the Bradley center was going to, you know, collapse at that point. Um, it was pretty much the best live sports environment I've ever been in. Um, so kind of the complete opposite end of the spectrum in terms of the atmosphere uh, for you. But in between those two clutch shots, kind of at the beginning and the end of your career, do you have any other moments in either the NBA or Italy or both that stand out to you in terms of a clutch shot or play that you were involved in? And can you tell us about what you're thinking in the moment and uh, kind of how the crowd plays into it? Yeah, that's a that's a uh, a tough question to answer. Obviously, when when you make a shot like the Louisville game, geez, 17 years ago, <laughs> you know the game happens so fast. You can't really you can't process what's going on because in that moment you're trying to. It wasn't a game when it was to tie the game, but there's still six seven seconds left. So you're trying to get back on defense and. Unfortunately, Reese Gaines came down and hit a big shot and everything was negated. But, you know, and then you fast forward to the, the TBT and you make the shot and that's the end. That's, that's final. We're the champions. That, can pro- that process this is, you know, right after. Now, during the, during the game, when that's happening, you're not thinking about the impact that it may have positive, positively or negatively. I hope not. I, I mean, for me, it was always – you know, I'm just going to react to the situation, uh, the, the time, the, the moment, I don't think ever got too big for me because, you know, fortunately I've played in a lot of, you know, big environments and I've failed in a lot of them, but I've had success in a lot too. I mean, final four game, you know, I went one for 11. So it's not like it's always going to be great. So I've, I've always been confident in my ability. So in those situations, I think you just kind of, you try to tune out the exterior noise or the fans. And obviously if you're on the road, I've always loved like playing on the road more because I think it gives you another added dimension to it. But I think you just try to tune that out. You try to focus on what you're trying to do. Uh, I've had many experiences of hitting shots and, and missing shots overseas. And, and those environments are more like college because the fans are a lot more into the games than say an NBA game. And I never played in an impactful NBA playoff game which I think would have a similar environment but overseas I've 
I've had opportunities to make big shots, to win championships. And, and those are memories that, you know, will, will stick with me as well. What's different about the Italy, Italy, the Europe game than the U S I think the skill level in Europe is, is high, really, really high because they're not the greatest athletes in the world. I think the greatest athletes in the world are basketball players. I think if you look out on an NBA floor, you're just seeing athlete after athlete that, you know, can run, jump, that can do things with the basketball that are just amazing, you know, and that's not, that's not really my forte, but for me, the skill level in Europe, it's, it's more of a below the rim game. Obviously in the NBA, it's, you know, you're seeing highlight after highlight. So I appreciated the, the skill level in, in Europe. And I also appreciate the, the team camaraderie and the chemistry, the, every guy is going to have, you know, your whole team, you're going to have six, seven guys average between nine and 15 points. You know, you weren't banking on James Harden to score 35 a game or, you know, LeBron to get you 30, 15 and 10. It was more, you know, you're, you're here for a team. You're going to play 25 minutes. This is what your role is. We pass, we move, we, we get the best shot. Some nights you're going to have five points. Some nights you're going to have 25 points. I mean, the leading score in the league would average, you know, usually about 19, 20 points a game. So it's not like guys are, are getting to those. If you score 30 in a European game, especially at those higher levels, uh, the higher leagues, it's, it's, it doesn't happen often. Who is the best player you played with in Europe that nobody's ever heard of? Whew. Do you know, whew, that's a tough one that, that nobody's heard of. Hey, you know, Bootsy Thornton, Bootsy Thornton. No, tell me, tell me about him. Played at St. John's back before I was in school, probably the late nineties, early two thousands played with the, with Ron Artest at St. John's. If you go back, he had a game at Cameron, I think it was at Cameron Indoor. He had like 40 points in college. It was either at Cameron or it was against Duke. I know that went to Europe, had an incredible career. I got to play with him his last, his second to last year in Europe. So he's older, but he was, he was incredible to play with, knew how to play the game, lefty, smooth, tough. Uh, one of my favorite teammates of all time. And I'm glad because you don't know who he is. So it's someone that you don't know. <laughs> it I would have said my cousin, but. No, my, my cousin that played at DePaul, but I'm sure you know of him. So yeah, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. No, I know. I definitely heard of him, but you don't ever want to give your cousin one up on you. You know what I mean? You don't want to give a cousin. I, credit he doesn't have, have one up on me. I went six and two against him in college and two and, and two and all against him overseas. So <laughs> I can tell how quickly you have that. Yeah, I'm sure you so. fire that up at every family party when you can. <laughs> of course. And I um, went four and all against my cousin in St. Louis. So it sounds like you've got the family bragging rights right now. For now. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so I see you partnered with Steve Becker in building the athlete performance sports complex in Wisconsin. Can you tell us a little bit how that came together and what your role is in this new venture? Yes, Steve we're, uh, runs athlete performance here in Mequon. It's more of a strength and conditioning component to, for all athletes. And he came to me geez, probably a couple of years ago and that he wanted to build his own gym. I said, you know, when you ever you finalize this deal and you want to do it, I'd love to invest. I'd like to, go into it with you and you know we broke ground in september it's going to be done here in the in the early spring here in, in middle of march it's a thirty-six thousand square foot sports complex it'll have three full court basketball courts it'll have strength and conditioning it'll have indoor soccer turf uh sports medicine 
uh, integrative health and wellness. So it's kind of a one-stop shop for all young athletes to come there, develop, grow, not just basketball players, but, you know, soccer players, volleyball players. So awfully excited about it. I can't wait till it's, it's up and running here in a, in a few months and kind of the next project, you know, kind of to give back to the next generation and give these kids an opportunity to, to really grow is, is kind of the main goal. That's awesome, man. Great. Well, best of luck with that. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Maybe we'll do this again soon. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you. That was a fantastic time. Thank you again, Travis, for coming on the show. We'll work on getting you on here again. Tomorrow night, guys, I'll have another pod out breaking down the Seton Hall game. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at The Golden Break. Have a fantastic day.